Good morning. My name is Dan Margulies. I'm filling in for Linzer while he's away. Uh, today is August 25th. It's the 21st of Av. And our daf today is going to be Pei Vav. We're starting about 20 lines from the bottom on Pei Hei Amud Bet, where it says Amar Rabba. We've been discussing the question of how to calculate Shevet. That is, how do you calculate the amount of compensation a person receives based on an injury that for the amount of time that they're going to be off of work or that they'll be unable to do their normal job. And so far we had seen that the discussion centers around basically the idea that a person will be unable to do the work that they used to do, and now they have to be assessed at the value of a type of work that they're able to do now that they've received this injury. For example, a person who could have been any sort of any sort of work, now suppose they're hand has been injured, at least in Talmudic times, that would mean a person could probably not do very many jobs that you would need both hands for, so you're assessed at the level of the Shomer Kishuin, someone who sits and watches a uh, pumpkin patch, uh, because that's the type of work where you need to walk around, but you don't need to use your hands. Um, and if it was someone who had been injured in the leg, they have to be assessed at the, the rate that a person who's a Shomer at the, at the gate of the city uh, because a, a toll collector is someone who just sits in one place. They don't have to even walk around. So if you injured your foot, then that would be the level you're assessed at. And if a person had, had become blind from this injury, then they would be assessed based on their ability to grind wheat. They could sit at the millstone, uh, but at the same time, uh, they would not have to move around at all. They, couldn't, they could do a job even that doesn't require the use of their eyes. And the Gemara had said if a person became deaf based on this injury, then you pay kulo. You pay the entire value. Why? Because, um, because. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Okay. So the Gemara says, "I'm a rabba. Kikad yado no tenelad meyado." The shevet roi no tekiulu shomer kishu. Sorry, I, I, we we got farther than I thought we said. We got up to where it says by rabba, right? Okay. So we're actually more like 15 lines up from the bottom. Okay. So by rabba, rabba kikad yado. So what if a person severed someone else's hand and the Beitin did not get a chance to assess the damage yet? Okay, step one. Shiver at Raglo, and then he went and broke the guy's foot. And they did not assess the damage yet. And then he blinded him, and then they didn't assess the damage yet. And then he made him deaf. So Mahu. Me, I'm reading on under Lom Duhu Bechad Umdina Bechad Umdina Sagulay, the Ayvlaid Mekulay. So maybe you'll say, maybe you'll say that because they didn't get a chance to actually pay yet, or they didn't get a chance actually to assess the damage yet, then at that point, since they only do one assessment at the end, based on all four injuries, you should just pay one lump sum. Odilma, Chada Chada Amdinan Evi Havinan Lay. Or maybe each injury has to be assessed on its own accord, and then he has to pay four separate payments. So, so what's the nafkamina? Meaning, what should be the difference? If it's the same injury, it should end up having the same payment either way. So we're going to see. I, I, yeah. So you know, we were we were discussing that if there's nizek, then it comes along with everything else. And then we said if there's like you know one thing individually, right. then it has to be paid individually, like okay, sorry, like you need a or whatever. Right. But can you couple without without nizek? Well, let's say. And he's not too embarrassed. So that's going to be coming up on Thursday. We're going to see. There are going to be cases that, that we're going to deal with. They're going to deal with, like, just bullshit and not, not uh, Nezek and things like that. Yeah, well, for example, we're going to see two payments. So yeah, for sure. Pay. Meaning, any of them could be paid based on the assessment of the situation individually. So it's not um, Nezek. It's not just five things or one thing. It could be two or right. three. Right. It could be two or three, right, depending on the circumstance. Okay. 
So nafkamina, what's the nafkamina between if it was one assessment or four separate assessments? Because tsar and boshet are going to be different for each one. That is, the shevet and the ripui are in the end are going to work out the same because the amount of devaluation of each one is going to add up to the point of the next one. So in the end, it's going to cover the full spectrum. But tsar and boshet, each injury is going to incur more pain and suffering, and each injury is going to incur more embarrassment in terms of how this person presents in public uh, public arena. And therefore, uh, Tsar and Bosha, if you uh, assess them individually, is going to compound to actually a higher amount of Tsar and a higher amount of Bosha. The Kochad Vachada, Nehid Denezik, Verifu Vishabi, Kochad Vachada, Loyabinale. The Kaven, the Liaizle, Damikule, Kamandekatle, Dami. Uh, so, and the fact that you're, if you pick, so for the other three, that is Shevet, Ripui, and Nezek, the fact that you pay for the whole thing, that is, the person has been injured to the point of, uh, of a full, full assessment. So, th- in that sense, you're saying, okay, you're paying Kiman de Katlei Dummy. It's like you've killed the person. That is not, obviously not killed the person. We don't let you pay if you've killed someone. But the sense is that since you've, uh, impaired their ability to work, uh, the Shevet is like you're paying the entire person's ability to earn a living. The ripui is a very significant medical expense. And the Nezek, obviously, you've damaged them in an extensive way, such that a person's value in the slave market will be incredibly uh, severely reduced. So that's also like that you would have to pay almost like to the sense the whole person's worth. Obviously, a person doesn't have a worth, but in the sense we have to have an assessment for that for Nezek. Okay. So, the Gemara says, the Yahiv Dame Kule. So, if you pay the money for the person's entire self, taruboshes okay, so, what, then what about taruboshes? Because the whole point was that taruboshes are going to be compounded further. You're actually going to end up paying more if you do separate assessments than if you do the whole thing. Because taruboshes are going to be separate. So, if you'll say that the reason why is because they didn't get a chance to assess in between each of the injuries. So, and then you could pay one lump sum all at the end. But, if you if they had assessed the value in between each injury, but the person just didn't get a chance to pay it yet, then what do you say? So, maybe because each injury was individually assessed by Lameta so maybe he has to give it to him each one separately. So then, or maybe the alternative is that if the person didn't pay yet, then there's no need to pay each one individually. Rather, you can combine them into the one lump sum, and then the tower and Boshet are going to accordion uh, collapse on each other because they'll be double counting. So the Gemara ends, take, that means all of Rava's questions about this have been left unresolved. That is, Rava presented two different possibilities. Either we should assess... Um, Tsar and Boshet in particular uh, should be assessed based on individual damages uh, if there was no assessment in between. Or uh, maybe even if there was assessment in between, as long as the payment didn't come through, they should be assessed individually, or maybe they should just be assessed all together uh, from the beginning to the end and ignoring all the details in the middle. Yes? Does that mean if he's paying just the entire value, he's not going to pay for humiliation and pain at all? He will pay Tsar and Boshet for the... The, the sum total of the injuries, but not for each one individually. The Gemara's point is that if we would assess how much Sa'ar and Boshet were involved for each of these four injuries, the, the 
the sum of all four would be more than if you would assess it each one by itself. So, because presumably a person gets in yeah. one accident and they have all four injuries at the same time, the amount of bullshit, for example, that they'll feel or the amount of pain that they feel at one moment or for that one period of time is going to be less than if they went through four individual injuries. Um, the Gemara ends with Teku. Teku is an unresolved question. That is, Rava's question is, was left unanswered. Interestingly enough, and the, the Rambam does this consistently, uh, the answer when we have to talk in Halacha based on a Teku is usually that we're kind of in a case of doubt. And in a monetary case, we would say, okay, you can't use the conclusion of the Teku to take someone else's money away. But that means, itafas lo maskinan. If the person trying to claim this money had already grabbed it, had took it, taken it from the person who he thought owed him, then you can't take it back from him because he has a certain ground to stand up. Strangely enough, the rush in the back here, actually, Paskins, he thinks one side actually makes sense. If you take a look at the rush, the rush thinks it makes more sense to assess each one individually. It's right at the end of Simon Hay in the me rush. Too, me too, but, but it makes sense. But the, so, but the Tosis Yom in the says, how can the rush just decide for himself to decide a question that the Gemara leaves unanswered? That is, fine, it might make sense to a certain amount of, uh, it, might, it might make sense, but it doesn't give you the right to talk it. It's a teku. Teku means it's left unresolved. So it's a good question. Okay, so it's an interesting question. You have to see how, how different Rishonim approach, what does it mean, the teku. Also, okay. that, that means yeah. you're not making a distinction between, if, between each one having been done separately as opposed to this person had an accident and it all happened to him. Well, obviously it's not an accident. Obviously we're talking about a case where a person injured someone else. Um, but the point is whether it was four individual uh, acts of violence, separate, violence. separate incidents, or, or one all at once, right? I still don't get the Nesek part, meaning I still... Uh, the, the sum of the Nesekin is not... It's greater than the whole one. No, the sum of the Nesekin... Because let me hear me out. Because, like, you know, I, I, I first I do your leg, and then, you know, I pay the value of the leg. And then you are, pay the value of But how do we assess then, the value of the leg? The value of the leg is... How much would it be a legless slave versus a leg? Correct. And then it's going to be a person who who is blind and has no leg compared to a person who is seeing and has no leg. So then that's one more step. And then now we're going to go from here to here. So yeah. then one, two, three, they're all but three going to add up. But they're supposed to having it once. And it's Correct, but they're the each one going to add up to the whole right. thing. Right, but just, I did it separate times. But they did it but the, the, the adds, you know. But the Nezek adds up. The point of how Nezek is assessed is that the Nezek, the first Nezek gets you from here to here, second one here to here, third one here to here. Right. So then the whole thing, if you would be assessed all at once, is going to cover the same thing. The problem no, is... then, then at the end, it is how much, how much is it, how much is the slave worth? Whereas I'm doing it three right. times oh, along oh, the way. How much, the, slave, how much is the slave worth? I still, I'm still, I'm still, I'm still, I'm but the last point is that the, the devaluation of the... But that's the point, oh, is that the way this slave market, at least, calculates those values is that it's going to work out evenly in the end. You're saying, how much is the whole slave worth? Right, right. So then, and the fourth one, that is, if you made him death, then he's, he's worth nothing. And the idea is that the, then the slave is also, at that point, a blind, deaf, legless, handless slave is basically is worth nothing. So what's right. the question? That's the sense. Right. No, no, no my point is, this is five different times. The, I'm, I'm saying you get the fifth one plus the fourth one, and then no, what the third plus, one. plus is... This plus this plus this plus it's this is this. I understand, but it's done in, but it's done incrementally. Okay. For me, it was over the course of fifteen years, so he gets first the pain he gets at the end of the, at, at the last time he gets everything. Then no, he doesn't get everything. He gets the difference between this one and this one. And the previous time he got the difference between this one and this exactly. one. Each it's incremental. It's so like I, I know, I understand. So it's done at different times, what I'm trying to say is that the, that everyone knows that it happened. 
So, so we should get each assessment has a different starting point. I know. It's an increment. That's my point. It ends up at the same place. No, it doesn't. Michael, maybe we can talk about it afterwards. Right. I'm not sure I understand the question. Wait, if it okay. ends up at the same place, then what's the difference? It's right. like saying 5 includes 4, 3, 2, and 1, but 5 plus 4 plus 3 plus 2 plus 1. But it's not 5 more. plus 4. Yeah, it's it's 1 plus easy. 1 plus 1 plus 1, and it's 3 plus, plus 1. Or it's four. Yes, it is. That's exactly the point. So what's the question? It's 5 minus, minus 1 to get to 4. Then you no, get you get four. 1. Well, you get to 4 minus 1, you get to 3. Whatever. Either way, we're doing the same thing. Right. right. If it's going to end up at the same place, what's the question being I'm asked? Just the question being asked is about Tara and Boshin. That is, the, each individual injury is going to have its own level of embarrassment and its own level of tar, which in total are going to add up to more than the amount of tar and boshet if all of the injuries were assessed at once. And that's because a person suffers the pain based right, on so each injury. And if you're in pain of your whole body all at once, it's going to be less than each injury. What do you mean when you're saying it's going to end up at the same place? That's about nezek. Nezek, ripui, and shevet are going to add up. Right. We're on the fourth to the last line of peham with that. The Gemara says, by Rabbah. Rabba asked a question. That is, we already had Rabba's questions, now we have Rabba. And it's going to come back, we're going to see. The Gemara is going to uh, address this later. So, by Rabba. Shevet What is a case of Shevet, that is, amount paid for time off of work, that reduces a person's value? This is a little bit of a strange, a strange formulation. Look in Rashi. That is, a person got an injury such that they have to take time off of work, but the injury will heal. And therefore, the presumption is that, on the one hand, you're not really paying nezek because the nezek, the injury, is going to heal. But at the same time, how do you assess the shevet in that case? Because we thought the whole point of shevet was that for the rest of this person's life, he's going to be unable to do this kind of work. He's going to have to do a lesser kind of work. So you have to compensate him in that way. But here, the person is going to be able to go back to work. He's going to have two weeks off of work, and then he's going to be fine. So that's the question. Okay. So how, what do we do? Hey, So suppose someone hit someone else on the hand and it got a horrible bruise or got a horrible scab or something. And in the end, it's going to heal. It might take a month. It might take two months. But in the end, it's going to be fine. Okay. So my maybe because it's going to grow back, it's going to heal, then he doesn't have any obligation to pay him for Shevet at all. Because fine, even though you're off of work for now, but you're going to go back to your original job. Okay. Or, um, So, no, right now you reduced his earning power. That is, at least for these two months, he's going to have time off of work. So, this is the question of what Shevet is to begin with. That is, this whole time, at least, the, the mission was still unclear. What does Shevet mean? Shevet, does it mean the time off of work because of the injury, or does it mean a lifelong reduction in earning power based on a lifelong injury? Those are two very Why would you things. assume that it doesn't include everything? Yeah. Trevor doesn't say what it is. So they assume the most expansive definition. I, I don't know. We have to ask that question. So Rabba asked the question, so we're going to see. Meaning there's two very different things. be a lifelong thing. I always thought it was potentially temporary. Why? I cut off your hand, so now I'm never going to be able to do a job. How do you know what you're talking about? The answer says, you know, I hit you, whatever, because I bruise you. A kibia is okay. not necessarily something that... Okay, so until this point, at least, the examples in the Gemara had been a severed hand or a broken leg, which at that time, which they didn't have the kinds of bone setting that we have. A broken leg meant it was going to heal wrong and you weren't going to be able to walk anyway. Or being blinded, a permanent injury that's yeah, going to fundamentally about. affect. Torah's talking about. So the Torah doesn't say anything. The Torah says, "Rashi, Kohi, Tain." Mishnah 
cut off his hand. So we're going to have to see. So Rabbah asked this question. It's a very good question. That is, we're really getting to the core of what is Shevet actually compensation for? Is it for lost wages during the time for your recovery? Or is it lost wages because you've fundamentally been altered in terms of your earning power? Okay. Um, so Tashma. What if a person hits their parents? But it didn't leave a bruise. We know the halacha is if you injure your parents in such a way that it does leave a bruise, uh, then that's a capital crime. Because even though it doesn't actually kill your parents, but the fact that you've injured them so substantially uh, is a, such a disrespect to your parents that that's considered to be a, a capital crime. Yes. I must be very sick, because Torah says, you know, they're obviously getting back. For capital punishment. That's what that passage But what if we should, if you're walking on Mishantel on your own. Right, so that means that in a case where a person was injured mortally, but recovered enough to be able to walk, that means that it wasn't considered to be a mortal wound. That means this injury, if I hit you, and then you have internal bleeding, and three weeks later you die, I could still be put to death for that, because I injured you in such a way that the injury killed you, even though it wasn't right then. Right. What this is saying is if a person gets up after the injury and then a month later dies, it was proof that the injury was not a mortal wound at the time of the injury, and therefore the person who caused the damage is not is not a murderer. And then That's the what that puzzle is about. And then the Shevet is... Shevet is about how much you pay for someone's off work. We're actually but he, he died, so you're still paying him for the Shevet? No, it's saying if he got if he didn't die, right. then he has... But, but still, but still he was incapacitated from his injuries. Exactly. He was unable to work. Yes, it doesn't seem like shot. Oh, it doesn't have to be the shot. It has to be what the halacha is. Okay. Tashma. Hamakavi vimo belasa ben chabura. If you hit your parents in such a way that did not leave a bruise, v'achovel b'chaveir b'yom kipurim, or if you punch someone on on Yom Kippur, chayav bekulan. You're obligated to pay all five things. We know if you punch someone on Shabbat, if you injure someone on Shabbat, or if you hit your parents in such a way that it does leave a bruise because those are capital crimes, we would say Kim Lazarabamine, you would be exempt from the monetary obligation. But punching someone on Yom Kippur because you're high of karet, or hitting your parents in such a way that does not leave a bruise, you would be obligated to pay all five. Ah, uh, but what does it sound like? It sounds like if you hit your parents and it didn't leave a bruise, you would still have to pay all five. That is an injury that does not leave a permanent mark of any kind, then still you would pay Sheva. That is, the injury even a temporary injury would require shape. So that's what it sounds like from that, right? Okay. So hi, lo asabem chabura hechidami. But what case is it that does not leave a bruise? La kigonshi kali adava sofalakzor katani katani chayav bekulan. So doesn't it sound like a contradiction? Because it sounds like it, what injury doesn't leave a permanent injury, a permanent scar, would be if you hit them on the hand, and eventually it's going to grow back. And it said chayav bekulan. You're obligated in all five. So Amri Haki Blaskina. No, this is what we're talking about. Kigon shecher show. It wasn't that you hit your parents on the hand and then it, it healed. It was that you injured them in such a way that there was no blood to begin with. That is, you made your parents deaf. You injured your parents in such a way that it made them lose their hearing. The law of Kabura. And does that really not leave uh, leave a wound? The Aviv Neherag. But Rabba said, and this again, this is we're trying to answer Rabba's question to begin with. So it's very good that it was Rabba who we're talking about. So if you make your father deaf, you will be executed for that. Why? 
because the way a person becomes deaf in that kind of an injury is that a drop of blood goes into the ear, and that's what causes the, the deafness. And so, therefore, now the question becomes, basically what they're describing is a kind of an internal bleeding, it sounds like. That is, something happened internally which involved bleeding, and that's what causes the injury that results in the loss of hearing. Interestingly enough, though, it seems to be somewhat of a machoket about um, whether or not internal bleeding counts for, for this question of the capital crime of injuring your parents or not. Uh, it's a bit of an interesting extended discussion. Also, a question of, of um, what, what malacha is it to, uh, to cause someone to have a bruise on Shabbat? It's, I think, maybe even a three-way machoket in the Rishonim. One possibility is shochet. It's a tolada of shochet. Shochet means to kill an animal. Okay. So, I, well, one second. We're going to get to that. So, one possibility is shochet. That is, if I kill, kill an animal and the blood obviously drains out. So, if I punch someone and it causes the blood to group together in that place, that's kind of like shochet. Or maybe it's tovea, as Michael said. It's like dying because you've turned their skin from one color to a different color. Uh, or maybe it's dash, because we know that the malacha of dash, which is uh, threshing, uh, removing the kernels from the wheat stalk also becomes applied to things like milking a cow or squeezing a fruit. That So, too, punching a person in such a way that it causes a bruise is drawing the blood out of their flesh in such a way that it's kind of like squeezing out a fruit. Uh, so those are at least three possibilities for what Malachah Chovel is. The Gemara takes it for granted almost that, that Chovel Bechabeiro on Shabbat is, is one of the Malachot, but it's not clear which one it is. Okay. So... Rabbi had said that causing your parents to lose their hearing is something that you would be killed for because it's impossible for the hearing to be lost without a drop of blood being dislodged. So that couldn't be the case we're talking about because we have to be talking about a case where there was an injury that a person could cause their parents, which does not leave any kind of a bruise and does not involve any kind of bleeding, but at the same time is temporary, such to prove that there's such a thing as shevet even for a temporary injury. Okay. It was a case where a person shaved his father's head. Okay, so we're going to see. So, Gilcho, <laughs> that's exactly the Gemara's question. Gilcho, Mother Hadar, behind the vine. So, that, the hair is going to grow back. That's what you're telling me that that's an injury? Okay, so, Amri Hacha Bemayaskinam, Kigon Shasacho Nasha. No, he used some kind of a depilatory uh, uh, cream or a resin. That, that burns the skin and burns off the hair, and it burns off the hair permanently. Nowadays, we have things like uh, laser hair removal, things like that, that are a permanent hair removal, okay? So if it's permanent hair removal, then it's a permanent injury, okay? So then what? how can you make it all other five, though? It's still fine. You'll say that that's some kind of a nezik. You've damaged this person in some way. So tsar, de'ile, kartufne bereshe, the person had fissures or cracks in the skin on his head, and therefore when you put the cream... Um, that that burned in the of its actual mahanu kartufne, so and, and it causes burning because of those those uh, uh, scars on the head. So ripui, what about ripui? The uh, healing cost devayas asuye is because he needs to go to the doctor for that. Because once you have cracks in your skull and your um, the skin on your scalp, and then you put this depilatory cream and it burns, you have to go to the doctor. Okay, shave it. What about shave it? Meaning, <laughs> what work do you lose? from having, becoming bald and, and having this injury on your head. To have the Marquis de Cube, because he was a juggler, a, a dancer in the, in the bar, that he was some kind of a jester, some kind of a comedian type. Um, so in that case, so why? Because he has to go and wag his head around in front of people as part of, I guess, the way he, they would dance back then. Uh, and therefore, he can't do that because he has these injuries to his scalp. 
So, and boshet, elecha boshet gadol mizeh. And um, forcing someone who is not naturally going bald to go bald prematurely is very embarrassing. Um, I don't want to say the baldness itself is well, obviously, well, there are acronyms who point that out, which is to say, when we ever hear that baldness is embarrassing, everybody, you know, very many men and very many women, frankly, lose their hair at some point. That's just natural. It's natural to age gracefully. What's not, what's embarrassing is if you lose your hair prematurely, if you lose your hair all at once when you weren't expecting it. To take someone who has a full head of hair or even a partial head of hair and take it all off overnight, that would be very embarrassing. Uh, obviously, it depends on the cultural context as well. That is, if you live in a culture where people regularly shave their heads or things like that, and people have very short hair, it may not be as embarrassing. The bullshit might be relatively minor, at we, least in question. But our question, the point is shave it. Here, the shave it is assessed why. He gets shave it because his job was to be a jester in the bar, and he can't do that job anymore, at least for a while. So it sounds like a temporary thing. Obviously, it's going to heal. That is, the hair yeah, has... Okay, so the hair is not going to grow back, but the ability to to shake his head around is because of the cartoufne, is because of the cracks in his scalp, uh, which are going to which are going to heal. So that's one possibility. But the, the question of the hair is a good point. It's not it's not clear. But the point is that the boshit is also is assessed based on the job that he has. This becomes a question again in the rush. You need a shavet. A shavet, sorry. The shavet is calculated based on the job he has now. It's not just based on the job you could do once you were injured. It's also a com- comparison between your current job that you're unable to do now compared to something something else. So that's so he still gets paid as a cucumber watcher, but it's just that... Well, I don't even know if he's only... He, he could he do many pay. jobs. He probably needs to be getting paid above the cucumber watcher. No, no, I understand. He still, but right. it is, you pay him as... No, we saw that if for different kinds of injuries, you might pay a different amount based on well, what they're able here. to do. Right, but you right. can take some sort of low-level... Presumably it has to be some kind of a low-level work. Presumably paid more, and which is why right. I'm getting complicated. Right. If you've got a job that pays, pays less, you wouldn't... Correct. You know. Correct. So, I don't know. It doesn't say here what job you would assess him for, uh, but presumably the case of the cucumber watchman was because he had his hand cut off, so he couldn't do any kind of manual labor. Here, this is someone who had a skilled, a skilled kind of labor that required, you know, a more uh, creative creative type job, and now maybe he's going to have to get a work as a manual laborer that's going to pay less than, than his skilled job. It's interesting just to note that that sort of the variable, uh, subjective component of Shavit. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Um, okay. 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 Umilte de baile l'raba, pshite leila abai l'hachki Meaning, this was all a question that Rabbah had. Rabbah didn't know whether or not you should have Shevet for an injury that was going to heal. But what was a question for Rabbah was obvious to Abaye one way and was obvious to Rabbah the other way. That is, Rabbah and Abaye, one generation after Rabbah and Rabbi Yosef. So Rabbah and Abaye have a big machokis about something that their teacher, Rabbah, had a question about. So, obviously, I mean, you can imagine that this would happen. They're sitting in yeshiva, and the yeshiva asks a question, and he says, I don't really know. I kind of see both sides of it. And the two top students each pick a side, and they become invested in it. So it's just like an interesting, interesting point. Okay. So, Ravan why? The Itmar, what about a case where a person hit someone in the hand, and it got some kind of a swelling or bruise in such a way that it was unusable, but then it would heal eventually. He pays a large shevet and a small shevet. Look in Rashi, because otherwise we will not understand what he's talking about. Shevet gedola, shevet gedola sounds like it means what we've been calling nezek. 
That is, the fact that you will never be able to use this limb. Nezek is you were devalued on the slave market. And we discussed yesterday how the devaluation on the slave market takes into account the amount of work a person would be able to do over a lifetime using that limb. So, Shevet Gedola sounds like the lifelong um, lifelong change based on what we would, we've been calling Nezek. Shevet Tana, Kol Yamim Shomerkishuin. So, a temporary loss of labor, and we assess at that minimum wage level, based on the injury to the hand, he has to do a type of work. So, Shevek Dola becomes an interesting question. Why? Because it seems like the way Abaye conceptualizes what we've been calling Nezek is fundamentally is basically the same idea as, as Shevet. Shevet is the amount of reduction of your earning power over a lifetime, based on a permanent part of the injury, and over the short term, in terms of the part of injury that's going to heal. So both of those are each part of Shevet. The Mishnah had used the term Nezek comparison to Shevet, interestingly. Also, to note, part of the question here is how much are we comparing Chovel to, to uh, Nizke Mamon. Nizke Mamon, we only assess Nezek, the amount of damage caused. Here, because we have all five things, it actually becomes interesting to compare each of them to each other, and Abaye seems to compare what we've been calling Nezek to Shevet, because Shevet is also a time off of work, the way we think about that is, is a reduction of earning power, even for the Nezek as well. You can imagine a human being has all sorts of uh, value beyond their ability to work. Nonetheless, the work is what we can assess in, in court in a, in a reasonable way. Okay. Rava says you only pay Shevet for each day and day. That means temporary loss. a temporary loss is what, what Abai called Shevet. Uh, Shevet Tana. That is, Rava never heard of Shevet Gedola. Rava heard of Nezek, and he thinks of them as two separate things. So obviously, Nezek is something that only applies if there's a permanent damage, and uh, Shevet is something you pay for temporary. So Itmar, Hakotea Yad Evedivri Shel Chavero. What if a person, and now we have to go back in time, a long time, what if you chop off an Eved Ivri's hand? Eved Ivri is, is obligated to work for someone, but he doesn't actually He's not owned by anyone. He owns himself. He's a, a free person in a sense, but he's, he's an indentured servant. So, Eved Ivri Shel Chaviro, Abaya Marnotein Shevek Dola Eved, Veshevek Tana Larab. You pay Shevek Dola, that is, for the injury, you pay to the Eved, and to the master, you pay the amount of time that he won't be able to work, because he's, he has a contractual agreement to work for the master. So, the, who owns the rights to his labor for the temporary period of time when he's recovering was the, was the master. Okay, Rava Amar Hakol Yinatein Eved. According to Rava, everything goes to the slave because the evaluation of Nezikin is not about who bought the rights to your labor. It's about whether or not you can earn the money for yourself. And he, the slave, should buy land with that money. And the master is allowed to eat the produce of the field. That is, the type of relationship that the master has in terms of the ownership of the work of the Eved is not that he owns the Eved's labor. He's allowed to be Ochel Perot. He can get the benefits from the labor. So the same financial model we know by, or, or in marriage as well, who owns the land compared to who can uh, get the fruits, get the produce of that land. So too is the relationship of the Eved Ivri to the master. The master does not own the work itself. He only owns the perot, the fruits of the labor. Okay. So this is a machloket between Abai and Rabba. So pshita pichad etzel atzmo, ve'etzel Rabba lo pichet. But what? He didn't, well, he wasn't devalued for his master. He was only devalued for himself. It's a question on Rabba's shita. Okay, hey, he dummy. De paske l'reish abner l'reish nechirek. 
Now, maybe it was that his earlobe was cut or his nostril was cut, and therefore, that's when all of the Nezek goes to him himself. Hakol Asmo, they goes to him. Pichet Eitzel Rabo, Plugtede by the Rabba. But if he was injured in a place where it's going to affect his ability to work directly, well, then that's going to be Machlok Epsina by and Rabba. But that is, everyone agrees that if even Abaye will agree to Rava, that if the injury was in a place that doesn't actually affect his ability to work, then the only thing that the owner is losing out on, not owner, the slave master is losing out on, is the payroll, and therefore he should get the Nezikin money, buy a piece of land, and and the payroll will go to the master. Okay. We're in the middle of Pevava Mudal. Boshet, hakolati hamivayesh vehamit bayesh. Mishnah had said that Boshet, uh, embarrassment is assessed based on everything is assessed based on who is the mivayesh who got embarrassed uh, who did the embarrassing and hamitvayesh the person who got embarrassed. So we have to see. So it's very subjective. So money madnitin lo rabbi meir ve lo rabbi huda eli rabbi shimoni. So who is our mishnah like? It's not like rabbi meir, not like rabbi huda. It must be rabbi shimon. So we're going to see a discussion of the three-way machloket between these three tanaim. Okay. Ditnan the bright the bright says. Uh, Rabbi Meir says, in terms of Boshet, we assess every person's Boshet as if they are wealthy people who have just lost their inheritance. That is, they're wealthy people in terms of their stature, but they don't actually have any property. Why? Because every Jewish person is a child of, a descendant of Abraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And that gives us all equal stature. And therefore, it obviously can't fit the Mishnah, because the Mishnah said it was very subjective, and Rabbi Meir has a very objective, uh, singular standard. Rabbi Huda Omer HaGadol No. Rabbi Huda takes a very subjective standard. He says a richer person or a, a more prominent person is assessed on that, and a less prominent person is assessed based on that. And it's more embarrassing if you embarrass someone very prominent or very famous than if you would embarrass someone who nobody knows. Okay, Rabbi Shimon Omer, Ashirim, According to Rabbi Shimon, rich people, wealthy people, we assess them as if they are free people who have just lost all of their money. That is, we treat them uh, at a low standard of what it means to be a rich person. That is, we don't really take into account the fact that you're wealthy. However, And poor people, we assess them as if they're the poorest of the poor. That is, they're basically two gradations, and we bump you down to a very low level. Like I said previously many times, this is based on the principle that in court, we have to use a very uh, high threshold burden of proof. So we can at most extract a minimal amount from a person because we have the principle, if you want to prove it, you have to be able to prove. The burden of proof is on a person coming to extract money, so that's going to be a limitation in terms of how much we can actually impose in terms of this uh, bullshit. Uh, so it has to be a minimal amount of potion. So money. So Rabbi Meir obviously doesn't fit the Mishnah because the Mishnah had said it goes based on who got embarrassed and who who did the embarrassing. Rabbi Meir thinks it's all the same standard for everyone. And it can't be Rabbi Huda because the next Mishnah we're going to see on the next Amud says if you embarrass a blind person, you are, you're chayev, you're obligated to be. Rabbi Yehuda omer But Rabbi Yehuda is the one who says a blind person does not receive boshet. Rabbi Shimon, he, it must be Rabbi Shimon. Maybe you could say it is Rabbi Yehuda. When Rabbi Yehuda said that a blind person does not pay boshet, to extract boshet from him. If a blind person embarrasses someone else, 
then you don't make him pay boshet. But if a blind person got embarrassed by someone else, the blind person actually can collect boshet. So it works only in one direction, according to Rabbi Uda. Okay. And the safe of the next Mishnah says, if you embarrass someone while they're asleep, you're obligated to pay. The Yashin should be patur. But if you're sleeping, and while you were in sleeping, you did something that embarrassed someone, I can imagine the person, you roll over in bed and you pull the sheet off someone and they're lying there naked in front of their friends and everyone laughs at them. Okay? So the Yashin should be patur. You're exempt in that case because Boshet, to be obligated to pay Boshet, you have to have Kavanah You have to have intention to do something embarrassing. Adam Mu'ad Olam for Nizikin. Exactly. Right, so for Bosha, you, you don't say Adam Mu'adha Olam. Okay, Lokani Suma Shibiyesh Patur, So, no, this seems to be proof against reading Rabbi Huda that way, because Suma, a blind person, it doesn't say one way Patur, one way Chayav, like the way the Mishnah had distinguished between a sleeping person. And therefore, um, it must be that Mishnah is Rabbi Shimon, it's the only possibility, because it doesn't fit Rabbi Meir. It doesn't fit Rabbi Huda because it doesn't fit his shita about a blind person, and therefore it must be Rabbi Shimon. <laughs> Rabbi Shimon's opinion seems difficult to fit with the way the Mishnah was. That is, the Mishnah said it's all based on who the person did the embarrassing and who the person got embarrassed. According to Rabbi Shimon, we bump everyone down to the lowest bracket of if you're rich, you're bumped down to the lowest rich person's bracket, and if you're poor, we bump you down to the lowest poor person's bracket. So it's a little bit different uh, between them, but it basically is a way of telling us how to read the Mishnah, read it like the way Rabbi Shimon Shita is. Unless, of course, the Mishnah were really a fourth position, but the, the Gemara doesn't want to suggest that. They want to suggest that Rabbi Shimon is, is the Mishnah. So, Man How do you embarrass How do you embarrass You could, a person is sound asleep. They stay asleep. They stay asleep. How do they so, know they were embarrassed? Well, that's exactly the point. You embarrass someone who's asleep. Nonetheless, you're still chayav. Why? Suppose a person was asleep, and you, you know, this is a thing people do nowadays. Someone is asleep, and they draw on their face, you know, at summer camp or something like that. Or you put whipped cream in their hand, and they go like this, right? The person is sound asleep, but they've done something embarrassing. You, you did something to them that was embarrassing while they were asleep. If they had been awake, they would have been embarrassed. Of course. It's not about what, ah, so we're going to see. It's going to come up in the, in the next Amud. Is, it's not only about, we have, we have to keep going, but we're going to see. It's not just about whether or not the person himself was embarrassed, but how society experiences the embarrassment as a whole. Okay, so man tanu lahad tanu rabanan nitkavim levayeshet hakatan uviyeshet hagadol notin legadol mebushto shal katan. If you had intention to embarrass a minor, a child, and instead you ended up doing something that embarrassed an adult, so you pay the, to the adult the amount of money that you meant to have to obligate yourself to to embarrass the child. That is, you pay a lesser amount because it has to still be based on your kavana. It has to be based on what you intended to do. Okay. If you intended to embarrass a slave and you ended up embarrassing a free person by accident, uh, you pay the free person the amount of money you would be obligated to pay for embarrassing the slave. So money, who is this? It doesn't fit any of those three positions. So we maybe it means katan means someone who has very few uh, possessions, and gadol means someone with many possessions, a rich person, a poor person, a rich person, not a child and an adult. Okay, so e Rabbi Meir ha Markul hu who it can't be Rabbi Meir because he says everyone is the same level. The e Rabbi Huda the Amar ein labadim boshet, and it can't be Rabbi Huda because Rabbi Huda thinks that slaves have no boshet at all because we know their general sense that uh, the way an Eved Kanani is seen by halacha often is that 
Slaves live a very promiscuous lifestyle. Perhaps there's no sense of embarrassment for the slaves, things like that. Or not, not in the sense that they wouldn't be embarrassed at a personal level. But the way society sees them, nothing would, would be embarrassing in public if you're a slave. That's the suggestion, okay, according to Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Shimon is the one who says if you intended to embarrass one person and you ended up embarrassing someone else back then, you're totally exempt because it has to go entirely based on your kavana. So, so then it can't fit any of those three. So my time, so maybe you should compare it to a case of murder. If I went to murder someone, it only counts as murder if I kill the person who I meant to kill. That's what's called in Latin, right, mens rea. You had the thought of doing that crime. You have to have a premeditation to make it murder, okay? So you had to have planned who you were planning to kill. Because he was crouching in wait for him to try to attack him. That's from the discussion of the, of the manslaughter versus murder. What's the difference between manslaughter and murder? Manslaughter, you had no premeditation. You had no intent to kill this person. That's part of the defining characteristic. So, Adji Kavimo, you had to have intent for it. Boshet, now you had to be Kavimo, so for Boshet as well. So, we see Boshet, fascinatingly, Chazal, and of course later sources pick up on it, compare the act of Boshet, embarrassing someone very much to the act of murder. That is, we know how Malbina, Pnechave, Rabbi, Rabbi, and Chayav Mita, the obviously uh, hyperbolic statement, perhaps not so hyperbolic, but that embarrassing a person in public is equivalent to actually killing them. Shofet Damim, you've taken the blood out of their face because they, they bleach white out of embarrassment. Uh, so it's the same kind of action. Okay. Okay. Um, so Boshet Nami Adim Kavin So you have to have intention. Uh, and that's where we learn it from. We learn the fact that Boshet requires intention from the comparison to mur- the difference between murder and manslaughter. That is, embarrassing someone is more comparable to murder than manslaughter. And therefore, if you embarrass someone without intent, unintentionally, it doesn't count. Okay. One of the psukim we learn Boshet from is a case. There are two men fighting, and the wife of one of them comes and tries to defend her husband by uh, attacking his attacker. And the way she attacks him is somehow revealing him in public or, or uh, something involved in injuring him in the genital region. And in that way, um, so she had to have the intention to do that because she actually stuck out her hand and did that. Um, okay, so no. That bright that has to be Rabbi Yehuda. And we have to explain how it can fit with Rabbi Yehuda. Because Rabbi Yehuda had said that Ein Labadim Boshet. Now we have to explain. What does it mean when Rabbi Yehuda says that slaves do not uh, have the rights to their embarrassment? So slaves are not uh, given the monetary rights to their embarrassment. But in terms of assessment, in terms of the calculation of Boshet, we slaves actually would have the calculation of Boshet. That is, the question of Ein Lavadim Boshet gets into the question of who has the rights to the Boshet. But it doesn't mean that a slave has no uh, financial assessment for how much they would cost for them to be embarrassed. And therefore, what happened, you tried to embarrass um, the slave and you ended up embarrassing a free person, you pay the free person the money based on how much you would pay embarrassment for a slave. So you're using the assessment of a slave to pay to a free person, and that's what Rabbi Huda was talking about, and that fits with Rabbi Huda's shita. Okay, the Ibai same. Uh, alternatively, I feel the same Rabbi Meir. Maybe you could say it's even Rabbi Meir. Misavar gadol, gadol No, who said that gadol means a rich person and katan means a poor person? No, gadol mamash, gadol gadol mamash, katan, katan mamash. No, gadol means an adult and katan means a child. And it could fit with Rabbi, Rabbi Meir's position as well. Even though Rabbi Meir said everyone is on the same standing because we're all 
B'nai Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov were all the descendants of their, our ancestors who were very high level. Nonetheless, that would apply differently to adults and children. Obviously, Rabbi Meir, even though he has a flat, a flat playing field in terms of adults, he wouldn't say that adults and children are equal regarding Boshe. Okay. Okay. So, the Katan Bar Boshe, who is a Katan, is a child really someone who you would assess their Boshe for? So, in Kedamar Rapapa, Lemechlimole, Umechlam. So Rapapa said, yes, there are cases where children could be embarrassed. The kind of embarrassment a child could suffer is that if you would tell a child this and they would actually be embarrassed, they would feel hurt by that, then that is something that actually you would be able to assess the Boshe. That is, there are certain children who are young enough or certain things that roll off kids' backs in a way that uh, adults might take more seriously and which would be worth nothing for, for a child. And there are older kids or types of embarrassment that would affect children in our ways in, in that sense. So Papa said you have to assess based on the Michlimo le umichlam. So hakanami de machlimo le umichlam. So do here we're drawing attention to the fact that he was embarrassed. Like actually, if you point out, right. Well, or the point is that when does a child have bosha? When the child experiences the, the embarrassment of having been embarrassed. So that is, Boshe, the financial uh, calculation, right. will be applied if embarrassment, the emotion, is felt. But the Mechumelein is that they, they, are, they are drawing his attention to... Perhaps. I'm not sure if it's... I think it means more like if you would go up to a kid comparable to this kid and tell him the same thing, that he would be embarrassed. Something like that. That's, that's just their uh, benchmark for calculating that. Okay, the next Mishnah, we'll try to keep, we'll go as far as we can. The Mishnah says, Hamevayesh et ha'arum, if you embarrass someone who is naked, Hamevayesh et ha'suma, or you embarrass someone who is blind, Hamevayesh et ha'yashen, or you embarrass someone who is asleep, chayav. You're liable for all those kinds of embarrassment. Ve'yashen shebiyesh, but a person who is asleep, who embarrasses someone else, patur, that, that person is exempt. Nafamin ha'gag, a person fell off the roof, ve'hizik, and caused the damage. Ubiyesh and made someone embarrassed. Okay. So that's the same principle. That is, a person who fell off the roof by accident, obviously, and they damage something and they embarrass someone, then they pay for the nezek, they pay for the damage because Adam Muad Leolam, but they don't pay for the boshet because boshet you have to have kavana. And that was quoted already, if you could look on the side, that's on the Gemara on Kafzai and Amuralis. It came up when we were discussing Nezek, so now here Nezek comes up when we're discussing Boshe. The Gemara says, Tenur Abanan, Ba'isho Arum Chayav. Ve'ino Dome Ba'isho Arum Ve'ino Lavush. So, not even though a person who embarrasses someone while they're naked is liable, it's nowhere near as embarrassing as embarrassing someone while they're clothed. That's the idea. And obviously, what kind of Boshe are we talking about? Presumably, it has something to do with, with being... Uh, undressed in public or undressed in front of people who you feel you should be dressed in front of. Uh, so that's the difference is that if a person is wearing their clothes and then you take their clothes off, that would be very embarrassing. If the person is, is sort of partially naked already and then you reveal them even more, it will be less embarrassing. It will still be embarrassing. So, by if you embarrass someone at the bathhouse, you're liable. And there's no comparison. Obviously, it's much more embarrassing to be embarrassed in the, in the marketplace than it is to be embarrassed in the bathhouse. That is, in a locker room, you expect that people are going around naked or people are in a partial undress. Uh, nonetheless, uh, to be embarrassed in that way in the marketplace would be much, much more embarrassing. So, for shatnez durabanan, so the Gemara discusses that. The question of wearing shatnez durabanan in the, in, I think it's in Brachos, is that a 
person who's wearing shatnez that's only shatnez midrabanan, they're allowed to continue wearing it and they don't have to take it off in the street because of kavod brio. Because kavod brio recognizes that a person being uh, embarrassed in such a way of being naked in the marketplace would be too much fast. But if it's shatnez de oraita, you actually do have to take it off because we have the principle. So in terms of how many knots are attaching the wool to the linen or things like that, it was one knot or two knots or one one stitch or two stitches, things like that. So kavod brio. Exactly. Gemara's principle is a little bit confusing. People often take it out of, uh, or misapply it. It says, Kavod Abriot doche lo tasei shebat Torah. That Kavod Abriot overrides a negative prohibition in the Torah, in the singular. What does that mean? Does that mean it violates any negative prohibition in the Torah? No. It seems the way that that's applied by many of the Rishonim is it overrides one specific lo tasei in the Torah, which is the lo tasei lo tasur, which means to follow rabbinic decrees. And therefore, what it really means is that um, what it really means, again, the rabbis often speak in a kind of a code. We have to figure out, we have to, have to rely on, on the interpretation. Um, so that sense is that Kabbalah Briot should override rabbinic rules uh, in cases, and the Kabbalah Briot, again, what kind of things are Kabbalah Briot needing to bring uh, something to wipe with to the bathroom uh, on Shabbat, or Shatnez uh, Rabbanan being closed in the street, things that really have to do with very intimate aspects of a person being naked or having a certain bodily function, bodily needs, uh, Many people nowadays try to apply kavodah briot. Everything becomes kavodah briot. Everything that's embarrassing is kavodah briot. Obviously, it's not the way Chazal used it. You have to look in the Gemara and see see what kinds of things fall into that category. Only rabbinic. People say only rabbinic. Well, there are the other side that says, but the rabbis are supposed to. So there are many. There are many principles in in the Gemara and in Halakha that can mitigate a rabbinic prohibition, but are not powerful enough to mitigate what's a biblical prohibition. Because the rabbis said, you know, heim amru beheim amru. The rabbis have the power to provide the parameters for their, they wrote, and their laws. So rabbinic laws are often a little bit more flexible in terms of certain kinds of mitigating circumstances. So it depends. There are, a lot has been written about that. You know, that's perhaps the biggest, I mean, it's, it's like a meta topic in halakha. How do you, we're getting off track. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, so the the Brita had said, if you embarrass someone while they're naked, you're you're chayav. Arum barboshet, who is a person who's already naked, someone who could be embarrassed. Meaning, the fact that you're naked in front of someone else means you sort of don't already you you don't have so much boshet. You're not going to be so embarrassed. So that's the question. So amaraf papa, my arum. What does it mean, arum, that you were naked? The atazika the wind came and blew your clothes up. Again, remember, men back in the time of the Gemara used to wear like a long smock type of a, a robe shirt type thing. Uh, so the wind could lift that up. People didn't wear underwear back then. And so, the atahu by dailinus And then someone else, once the wind has come and blown up your, your robe, and then someone comes and pulls it even more. So they, you were as if already naked, and they made that experience even more embarrassing by by revealing even more of you at that time. So by to be embarrassed in the in the bathhouse, is it embarrassing to be in the locker room? It's not embarrassing. That everybody is changing. Everybody's naked in the in the locker room or in the sauna or something like that. No, it doesn't mean in the in the merchat in a closed uh, private bathhouse. It means you were bathing by the river. And someone came and embarrassed you. They said, hey, hey, look, it's, it's phony. He's down by the river, and he's naked, and he's swimming. So that's the difference. And that, that's why it would be embarrassing, because it's semi-public, semi-private. 
it's not a closed bathhouse where the person feels protected or feels um, feels like they they have some dignity. Okay. What happens if you embarrass a person while they're asleep, and then the person dies in their sleep? So the point is, the person never experienced the bullshit themselves. They never experienced that embarrassment themselves. The question is whether or not the person is obligated to pay for the bullshit to their heirs or not. We're going to see. So, Maku, Kamibayle. So, Amr, Rabzvid, Hacha, Kamibayle. This is the question. Mishum Kisufa, who? Is it Kisufa? Look in Rashi. So, Rashi says, Chafayat Panim. It's embarrassment to the person himself. It's some kind of distress that they feel in their emotional state. Okay? The Ha, Mitlay. And this person died, so he doesn't have any emotional response to this embarrassment. Kisufa, Odilma Mishum Zilutahu. Maybe it's Ziluta. Ziluta is a much broader sense of embarrassment. Look in Rashi. Ziluta Shimizalzelbo Bipnei Rabim. That is, it's the experience of having embarrassed this person in front of other people. That is, it's not about whether or not the person feels embarrassed. It's a societal standard in terms of what does it mean to be embarrassed. Uh, and that's the question. The Ha, Ozlei. You still were mizalzel this person while they were alive, even though they never experienced the embarrassment themselves. Their person, their stature in society was reduced because of what you did, whether or not they actually felt the embarrassment. Okay, so Tashma, yeah. a deaf person and a child do have boshet. That is something embarrassing could happen. You could embarrass them and you would be liable. Shota ain't boshet. But a person who has, you know, severe uh, some kind of a mental mental illness or mental disability does not have boshet. The assumption being that the person who's not aware of their place in society at all uh, basically can't experience boshet. Uh, obviously, I think nowadays the way uh, any any modern person who has worked with people who have mental disabilities or things like that understands that many people, even who have, I think most people with mental disabilities nowadays, based on our society, would not fall into the category that the Gemara calls shosem. Because a shota is someone who really does totally irrational things, doesn't have any awareness of what they're doing. Most people nowadays, even if they have a disability or if they have um, uh, special needs and things like that, those are people who are still aware of their place in society. They're still aware of who they are. Obviously, they can be embarrassed. It's a very different kind of person than what the Gemara talks about shota. It's important to know. Okay. So shota ain't lobo shit. So you buy it. Yeah, you buy it. Yeah, you buy it. Yeah, you Right. Sorry. If you're going to say it's because of their place in society that they would become embarrassed, that's why I said katan, because katan doesn't have kisufa in the same way. Katan is not going to feel the personal embarrassment the same way, or we don't care as much, because children, whatever, kids kids make fun of each other all the time. It rolls off their backs in a different way. Or, I mean, again, it depends, the psychology of it. But the sense that a person standing in society is not going to be uh, hampered so much, that's why it comes to teach katan. Eliyamar, mishum kisufa, katan barbo. Shit, who? But if you're going to say it's because of kisufa, is a katan really uh, connected to that sense of boshet? Because a katan, a katan has much less personal sense of worth that's going to be damaged by this embarrassment. Ah, so we're going to see. Ella, my mishum ziluta. Maybe you'll say it's because of ziluta. It's because of their societal standing. A filu shotanami. But then you would say a shota as well. A shota still has a sense of how their place in society would be affected by having been embarrassed. That is, for even even the Gemara shows that as someone who's totally unaware of their uh, standing, it's still embarrassing for the people around them if they've been embarrassed by someone else. Okay, so Amri Shota Ein Chaboshe Gadol Mazo. 
That is, there's a suggestion that to be a shote already is very embarrassing for society. That is, their family members, perhaps, or the people who live near them, they already have a sense of what that means that, that was embarrassing for them. Therefore, there is no additional boshet to be calculated. Okay. Mikomakom, nifshot mineh de mishuv ziluta. So maybe we should still extract from this that the assessment of boshet should be based on ziluta, based on the person's society, uh, standing society. The imishum kisufa, katambar kisufa hu. Are you going to say, you're going to tell me that it's because of Kisufa, it's because the per, uh, person, um, uh, Katan doesn't have that kind of personal awareness. No, it must be like Rafapa said, exactly like Hillel suggested. Rafapa said, So Rafapa said, even a Katan could have Kisufa, could have that personal sense of hurt, based on the fact that a Katan is aware of the kinds of things that could be embarrassing, but at a certain age. A two-year-old is different than an eight-year-old, an eight-year-old is different than a twelve-year-old. So those kinds of things are going to provide a sliding scale. So, so too, we, here we should assess it based on, for a katan, if it's something that the person, the, the child would be embarrassed by, that would be something that you would calculate. Is it based on his own embarrassment? And then this person has already died. Or is it based on embarrassment to the family, the family at whole? That is, even if it's based on kisufa, and we're willing to contain, uh, include a katan based on a kisufa, based according to Rav Papa, nonetheless, is it the person's personal sense, or is it for their whole family? That's a little bit wider. So, Hashma, a child and a deaf person do have boshet, shota in boshet, and a shota does not have boshet. So, yeah, boshet mishpacha, if you're going to say it's because of the family, that's why it's katan, that is, if katan doesn't have a personal sense of value, but for their whole family, it would be embarrassing. Are we going to say that a katan has boshet? It must be because it's for the family. But for a shote, then we would include it even for the family of the shote. We would say that a shote also has boshet. So, shote, ain't a boshet gdolomizo. It's a suggestion that for the family, there's still a certain amount of boshet for the family to have a shote in their family already, and therefore, uh, to that extent, there would not be no extension um, uh, extension if the shote were to be embarrassed. Okay. So Rapapa, again, the suggestion of Rapapa, the child's embarrassment, even at the personal level, could be assessed based on how much they would be embarrassed and what would happen to them that they would be embarrassed. Okay. And this price, it says, Rebbe's position, which actually agrees with all of the Rapapa positions now, is going to be brought down the halacha. Echeresh, a deaf person, always has boshet. Shote ain't no boshet. A shote never has boshet. Katan, panim yeshlo, panim ain't no. Child sometimes has boshet and sometimes not, depending on how it's assessed. Okay. And it must be the explanation of that price, according to Rebbe's position, must fit with Rapapa. We've seen the whole conclusion, which is that a child's embarrassment is going to be assessed based on how they how they can feel it, even at the personal level. We don't have to extend it to the broader sense of Zilutha, but it would cause uh, embarrassment to society. It could even be assessed at the personal level. Stop there. Uh, that was uh, paid by the we'll pick up there tomorrow with the next.